0: Hi, you're listening to the Stefan Levera podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, my guest is Corey Clipston, CEO and co-founder of Swan Bitcoin. He's also a GP general partner of Bitcoiner Ventures. And we're talking about Nassim Taleb's thought, applying that to Bitcoin, the intransigent minority, 10 million Bitcoiners, Swan Bitcoin and Bitcoin Ventures. This show is brought to you by Kraken, one of the world's leading Bitcoin exchanges. If you're not signed up with them, go and check them out. Kraken.com, a high quality platform. They've got some great liquidity with high trading volume and low fees. They also offer 24 7 support and there's chat on the website. They're consistently rated the best from a security standpoint and also by users. And for clients outside the US, Kraken have launched nine new foreign currency pairs, making it even easier for active traders and institutions to avoid friction when executing orders on Kraken. Kraken also have Kraken Pro mobile app, delivering all the security and features you love about the Kraken exchange in a beautiful mobile-first design. Kraken offer margin trading up to 5x leverage and futures up to 50x leverage. Go and sign up at Kraken.com. This podcast also brought to you by Unchained Capital, a Bitcoin financial services company offering customers a vault with multi-sig and also collateralized loans. So with the vault, it's multi-signature. It's two of three. You can use Trezor and Ledger. It's an easy setup on a web interface. And you go to unchained-capital.com and you sign up there and you basically set up with your wallets on there. And if you're feeling a bit uncertain about it, you can even test that setup out in Caravan, which is an open source multisig coordinator. Unchained also offer collateralized loans, so you can put up Bitcoin and get USD. So all that Bitcoin is stored on chain in a dedicated multi-sig address and it's never rehypothecated. It might also be beneficial from a tax perspective for you as well. Unchained have a range of excellent services and valuable content and open source tools. I think you'll enjoy partnering with them. Go and learn more. Unchained-capital.com. Now the episode today is with the CEO of Swan Bitcoin, Uh, but just a few notes about Swan Bitcoin. They're a Bitcoin automated dollar cost averaging service and they're available at swanbitcoin.com. You can link any major US bank account via ACH and auto buy Bitcoin weekly or monthly. And Swan Bitcoin is focusing specifically on education and they want customers to hold their own Bitcoin private keys and so that Bitcoin is delivered to your wallet or If you're a bit newer, it can be stored with a licensed and regulated custodian. I'm also involved as an advisor with a small equity stake. So they've got givebitcoin.io for Bitcoin gifting and swanbitcoin.com for your automated Bitcoin stacking. Here's the interview with Corey. Corey, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Stefan. Corey, I know uh, you've got an interesting history here that you uh, went through the shitcoins and then you came out and became Bitcoin only. And now you're CEO and founder of... Swan Bitcoin. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came on, on to, the, to Bitcoin only?
1: Yeah. So first of all, I'll, I'll say I did the horseshoe run like a lot of people, but uh, we, we can get there. But yeah, I mean, starting way back in the beginning, grew up in uh, in Northern Cali, parents met on Haight-Ashbury, kind of a, a bit of a commune upbringing. So kind of uh, outside the system, got used to kind of looking at things from a, a bit of an outsider's perspective, even though I uh, physically look as waspy as can be. Um, so that's been a bit of a, a bit of a superpower over the years um, to sort of play the role of of uh, the insider, but also the other. So that's been pretty cool. Grew up in Seattle, went out east for about 15 years, New York, Chicago. Uh, really was in in tech. I started in the Internet um, in the late 90s, working for Microsoft and and then kind of caught the um, I just I went through the dot com bust out in New York City with all the, you know, free Free happy hours from all the ad tech companies and the media internet media companies, and it just didn't seem very solid. And this is kind of um, interesting now that we're going through kind of the the third round already in my, in my professional career of the system collapsing around us. But I think it's very instructive, and it's probably what attuned me to Bitcoin in the first place. Was so the internet felt very unreal to me. So what did I do? I decided, well, okay, so if that was on a shaky foundation and these valuations weren't real and these companies weren't real and these jobs weren't real, like let me go try out the real economy, quote unquote. So I went to business school at University of Chicago. I went to go work for McKinsey. I started a private equity consulting shop. I was doing private equity from like 06 to 08. I started to get signals from uh, friends in New York, including uh, a roommate who was on the distressed bank loan sales desk at Goldman, that this was all a house of cards too. <laughs> and then we watched that kind of unfold over the next couple of years in 08 in and 09. And so I was looking at that and I was saying, well, if that wasn't real either in many ways, you might as well at least do something that you have more control over. Um, and, you know, that's kind of being an entrepreneur an entrepreneur, or at least being in a business where you have lots and lots of clients. Um, so that that kind of sparked my interest in getting back into early stage tech. Uh, I went to Google for a couple of years, really just as like internet business school. I spent that whole time, you know, obviously doing my job, but also networking like crazy with, with tech founders and, and VCs and trying to understand. Got back out to California, moved to Los Angeles in uh, early 2013 and uh left google in the summer of 13 to work in early stage tech so that's what i've been doing for the last seven years is kind of uh, either operating or advising or consulting to call it like seed stage a round b round type uh silicon valley startups call it silicon valley but really like sf uh new york la have been kind of the three markets that i've focused on and then you know bringing that to bitcoin you know i had a few different opportunities to uh go down the rabbit hole and missed them um somebody gave me bitcoin at a tech conference in January of 2014. And, uh, you know, I, I, proceeded to not read the white paper and, uh, not go down the rabbit hole and lose the private keys, uh, to my block, probably blockchain wallet, I think. <laughs> um, so that sucks. Um, but it was very formative as, as we get through to like my own story. Um, and then about, so almost two years later, so Christmas of 2015, heading into 16. You know, a friend of mine had uh, startup advisory stakes and early shares in a few different Bitcoin-ish companies, like Belagi's company and a couple others, and uh, asked me to help him put together like a deck so he could sell off half of a series LLC that had bundled up all these startup stakes. Uh, and so I did, um, but maybe because you know the companies I was putting slides together on were you know Bitcoin mining and a toaster and Ripple, nothing was really exciting about it, and it didn't take. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I just, I still didn't get it. Didn't, didn't understand the opportunity. So uh, it wasn't until the price action, you know, hit my network in spring of 17 and, you know, a bunch of people in my circles and and startups and, and VCs, you know, jumping out and starting crypto funds and joining ICOs and et cetera, et cetera, that, that caught my attention. Now I got really, really lucky in that one of the first people that I reached out to was actually running a crypto fund and was huge in you know, Qtum and all these Asian ICOs and stuff, but he insisted that I start with Bitcoin and spend a few months on just Bitcoin. So I at least had that foundation of, you know getting up to speed and kind of like always having it in the back of my mind. I was totally fooled by the Fred Wilson posts and all the Andreessen Horowitz activity and thinking that, you know, Facebook was right around the corner. And so that definitely ended up wasting about nine months. Um, so all of that fall of 17, I was looking at ICOs and I had this whole horrible 40 page document I put together about how I was going to go and pitch all these Silicon Valley companies on creating tokens. And uh, it was just brutal anyway. So yeah, I, I basically, it took me, it took me until, you know, March or April of eighteen. So after after the the bubble sort of burst, and you were kind of like wondering what was going on here. I didn't have the benefit of multiple cycles in the background, and having <laughs> lived through them or whatever. Um, so I didn't have any idea of how deep it would go <laughs> in that bear market. But I uh, I basically started shifting all of my activities and all of my learning and my research uh, to Bitcoin only s- since spring of eighteen. And uh, shifted all my professional activities by the end of that summer. So by the end of August, starting in September of 2019, I've been working as much as I can trying to figure out what I could personally do uh, in Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, that's a really cool story because it's like you've just run the full gamut, right? And you've got like a range of experience across different industries. And you've sort of managed to, you've basically come to the same conclusion that all the hardcore Bitcoin-only people... (laughs) you've kind of ended up in this same place that uh, many of us and many of my listeners are in, which is basically only Bitcoin. And it's also been really interesting as well. I, obviously listeners know I'm, I've been uh, you know, involved as well with things like give Bitcoin and swan Bitcoin now. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you were exploring the opportunities in terms of this Bitcoin space and what is actually a business that you can run in this space? Because notoriously it has been difficult to make money in bitcoin
1: yeah absolutely i mean i think we we kind of know the uh the profitable industries industry-wide profitability has been manufacturing asics and exchanges and that's pretty much it so as an industry mining has not been profitable even though individual mining companies that have advantages in strategy or you know sourcing or or power generation or whatever obviously have many have done very well as an industry it hasn't been profitable um and then you know the payments companies whatever obviously that stuff is probably a little further off in the future for some of them to be wildly profitable although i think there are some some interesting things going on with the paxfuls and the bit refills of the world um that are that are doing some cool things fold stuff like that so yeah i mean i i i started like i always do just asking people that i thought were well placed and who also kind of knew me and i I kept on coming back to people with the same question in the fall of uh, 2018, which is like, "How can I professionally sell Bitcoin?" Like, I just, w- I just want to, like, I want to talk about it, I want to pitch it, I want to educate myself about it, educate other people about it, and, and get them to buy it. And you know, obviously, I've crystallized my thesis since then and put it in pretty words, but you know, it, it hasn't changed. Which is that I believed very early on, from my own experience that uh, you know one's propensity to store value in the Bitcoin protocol is directly correlated to your understanding. Um, so I always thought that Bitcoin marketing is actually just Bitcoin education so I, I rooted around in the fall of fall of 2019 I was working with a guy who was trying to put uh, basically like 80% Bitcoin and 20% levered treasuries into a closed fund structure that would be a lot easier to get passed through the SEC uh, after we sort of got it, up and running and did the legal and everything, I realized that if I was going to have a role going forward, it would require me to like go to New York and you know go up and down the street and talk to people that didn't care about Bitcoin. And that sounded super boring and not like something I want to do. I've got a family and live out in LA and it's nice here. I like to stay home if I can. Um, so I kind of ditched that and had kind of a dark Christmas of, of 2019, still trying to figure out, or, or 2018, still trying to figure out what to do. Uh, luckily I you know had some scratch Left on the side, so mostly I just bought dips like a beast. With Bitcoin. And it's pretty much just you know watching YouTube and listening to podcasts and educating myself and kind of like like that deep crypto winner is when you steal your resolve. Like you're initially going to the podcasts and obviously was listening to everything and reading all the books that were available and there were a lot. You know, thankfully by then, by the end of 2018, you had new books like. Like, uh, like Safe's book had come out six months before your podcast was out there and was devouring that and Marty's podcast and a bunch of other ones. And, um, you initially go to those as uh, essentially like a support group because you feel kind of lonely in your, uh, you know, you're the only one among your friends that's, that's hodling and buying more as this thing, you know, maybe going to zero. And then, you know, your brain actually starts to do some work in the background and you wake up one day and you're like a total believer. And because you actually understand it and you know, it's not about belief anymore. It's actually knowledge. So, you know, Trace Betrayer did name his podcast, right? It is Bitcoin knowledge. It's not Bitcoin belief, you know, that is, <laughs> yeah, that is the right, point. that is the right name for a Bitcoin podcast. Um, maybe we'll get it back from him one day.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, man. And you're right, like that, um, it just takes, it takes a big, it's a big journey to go down this Like there's so many different things that you could learn and there's so many pathways that you could, uh, or points in the pathway where you might go the wrong way and then you're like totally screwed. Uh, And so it's 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 a challenging thing. And with Swan Bitcoin, I definitely noticed that there's a strong focus on education there. You've got Swan Signal and you've got the blog. You know, you've got these different pathways for people to get started and then also start learning on the pathway of oh this is this is what Austrian economics is. Oh, okay, this is what the basics of Bitcoin's technology and how that works. So tell us a little bit about your approach around education with Swan.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean it probably behooves us to at least start with the first product we put out was Give Bitcoin, which we put out in November just in time for the the holiday season. And and that one basically is makes it really easy to give someone else Bitcoin. Um, and, and basically this is for a new person you go to your cousin or your aunt or your you know, your friend at work or your employees or something like that. We had a lot of bulk gifting to employees and colleagues. And uh, it comes bundled with uh, 12 chapters of a book called The Gift of Bitcoin, which is just a really nice introduction to somebody totally new to Bitcoin. Um, so that's been rolling out. We uh, we just put out chapter four a couple of weeks ago. We're, we're finishing up chapter five right now. Uh, we're also already drafting chapter six, which is all about wallets. And sort of like, what do you where do you put your Bitcoin? So it's really fun to kind of think about that you know, every month we have a new effort that continues to think about things from through the eyes of a newcomer. And, and we deliberately have some, some more new coiner types involved in that to give us their perspective and make sure that it's actually understandable. And, you know, thanks to you, and and Jan and Brady and some of these folks that have been chipping in Matt O'Dell, you know, uh, consulting on that education with us and and providing their content and, and, and making it really good. And so that was kind of the the genesis of the approach, the education first approach of the company overall. When we decided to do Swan as a you know basically a, a product to buy Bitcoin for yourself, so give you buy for somebody else, Swan you buy for yourself, um, we knew that the best way to sort of access new coiners, which is where most clients. Most clients that we're going to have over the life of the company are going to be people who aren't in Bitcoin today because there just aren't that many people in Bitcoin today. And a lot of them have their stack already or they have their preferred platforms or whatever it is. Um, So it's we know that our task is to go out and educate new people and get them hooked with some interesting headline and some good education and some good knowledge and, and draw them in and teach them about Bitcoin. And and we know that the more that they know about Bitcoin, the more they're going to buy.
0: Yeah, right. That's that's absolutely right. And you had a really good post uh, that I wanted to talk a little bit about as well. So it's called 10 Million Bitcoiners and the Intransigent uh, Minority. So tell us a little bit about that. What What's uh, what's the idea behind 10 Million Bitcoiners?
1: Yeah, so uh, obviously the name of the company being Swan. It's pretty clear I'm a big Nassim Taleb fan. Um, the address of the company, which isn't actually out there in public, but we say it's uh, at the intersection of uh, Taleb Street and Nakamoto Avenue. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so this is kind of a, this is a concept that he's written about, um, and he's not the one who invented it. He actually observed it and saw other people writing about it and then just kind of took it broad in um, in particular. He wrote about an intransigent minority or an intolerant minority in a couple of his books prior to scanning the game, but he went really deep on it there. Um, and it's basically the idea that in a complex system like a society, uh, you only need a very small number of people to be totally dedicated to a cause or to not accept an alternative to flip an entire society to their way of thinking. Um, so the classic example that I laid out there that, that he also used was um, just uh, kosher or halal meat. The, the qualifications are pretty similar um, in a place like London. So you might have three or 4% of the population that insists on only eating kosher or only eating halal, but because everybody else, the other 95% or 96% is willing to eat that it's not such a bad trade off for them, but the minority is not willing to eat the other, the non-kosher, then basically the whole supply chain flips over to kosher. Um, and then you can see this on so many food products, even, you know, in the States, there'll be a little kosher symbol on, you know, almost every product that you're eating most of it is, is actually kosher and is manufactured in a way that is acceptable to our, uh, our Jewish and Muslim friends.
0: Right. And the interesting thing there is that it takes a little bit of uh, certification and certain work to make it that way, right? right? So there is some cost that is being incurred by the manufacturer, but in some way that's being obvious. Like you talk about incidents, it's being worn by everybody, but it's because of those uh, small minority
1: yeah, yeah, that that can cut either way. Some there are examples also of where the minority wants something that's uh, that's like less expensive and still flips it over. So, or or is better. Like a minority might want something that's better. That's how I see it with Bitcoin. Like we're trying to work toward having an intolerant or an intransigent minority of people in the United States that own enough Bitcoin for it to be meaningful and care about it, understand it enough that they're going to be vocal in defense of it. Um, and so, you know, that, that sort of just quick back of the envelope is if it's three or 4% and we have, you know, 325, 330 million people in the U S you get 10 million Bitcoiners that we need to have to, you know, there is no existential threat that we've identified that hasn't been defunded at this point for Bitcoin. Like it, there's nothing, there's nothing known that is a legit threat. And I obviously have observed this on Telegram and Twitter and you know, million podcasts over the last few years, like there literally is an answer for everything. But if I were gonna pick one that could delay things or make things difficult, it would be, you know, concerted effort on the behalf of the US government. Like that would be the one thing, you know, just the, the full force and power of the, you know, US legislature and military and spy systems and all of that the financial system. And, you know, the whole dollar reserve system being anti-Bitcoin would be, Would make it harder for me to enjoy Bitcoin in my life and for my children at least. Um, And, you know, might make people like me just shut down shop if you're not willing to move to another jurisdiction, things like that. So, yes, Bitcoin would survive regardless, but I think it's a much better future um, if we can speed Bitcoin adoption and Bitcoin resilience. Uh, on the social layer so you know i I see it as a a moral imperative and a a personal imperative and a company imperative to recruit as many bitcoiners again you can people self-define or define it however they want in this case i'm just using it as someone that owns a decent chunk of bitcoin and cares about it enough to like write a letter to a congressman or show up at a town hall meeting
0: yeah i like that it's a good um because again people can debate till the cows come home Okay, just because you hold Bitcoin, maybe you're not a Bitcoiner. Maybe there are some people who hold the proverbial Bitcoin flavored risk, right? They're just holding an ETF somewhere, or they're holding some financial product that gives them the Bitcoin price exposure, but they're not, they're not, they haven't grasped what it is to hold the underlying, right? Of mm-hmm. actually holding your own private keys and so on. And I, th- I like that idea, and I think a good way of uh, explaining it or articulating it, I think Will Reeves from Fault has explained it as we're building a political electorate here. What do you mm-hmm. think about that?
1: No, I love it. I mean, I, I, we launched something called Bitcoin for America yesterday on Twitter. So uh, we had 10,000 views of that video in a couple of hours. So that was pretty fun. Um, but that's kind of the campaign that we'll be running throughout the uh, election season here in the States. It's uh, Bitcoin for America.
0: Right, and that's also an interesting topic because there there is a very strong libertarian streak running through many Bitcoin people, and uh, arguably as well, the way America was founded has a very uh, has a very libertarian streak about it. And so it's sort of like a calling back to, you know, the initial values and. How do you see that uh, playing out today where, let's say, maybe a lot less Americans today are libertarians than, you know, uh, in the past?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've i gone through the trouble of going back and finding a lot of founding fathers quotes uh, about six or seven months ago and put a bunch of them on Twitter in uh, in little memes. And they were quotes that related to Bitcoin, obviously didn't say Bitcoin because it was, you know. 1830 or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, like the, they all basically agreed on, on one crucial thing, which is that if we let the banks print the money, we'd be screwed as a country. Well, since 1913, we've kind of been doing that and we accelerated it big time in 71. Um, and so now we're in a position that is not, we're we're in a position that the founding fathers thought would make the country fail. (laughs) So we might want to do something about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so you can be patriotic and make the argument for Bitcoin as well that you oh, want absolutely. your country to be more competitive.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're down with the founding fathers and you're constitutionalist and you know you want the ideals of the republic to carry forward, you know, you want to find a way to be aligned with Bitcoin because it's the most American thing you could be a, in favor of.
0: Right. Yeah, and uh, I, I think for the international listeners as well right i'm in australia probably 45 50 percent of my listeners are in the u.s so this is very relevant for them but even for international listeners uh i understand swan is also uh potentially looking to expand internationally uh do you have any thoughts to share around that
1: yeah i mean it's uh you know we're, we're super focused right now in the u.s which is obviously the biggest market and we think if we absolutely nail the product and the experience and you know kind of uh satisfy all the needs and wants and desires and, and delight our customers, we're going to be in a really good spot. Um, and thankfully, we're in a big market where you have a lot of headroom. Um, but yeah, we are already sort of doing the the legal groundwork. And on the back end, we can already be in 140 countries in every major currency today. Um, the partnerships that we have and kind of like the stack that we've built, um, we can technically take funds In exchange for Bitcoin from 140 countries right now, but you talk about, you know, support, you talk about regulations, you talk about, you know, licenses and all these different things. You kind of do have to go country by country and language by language and all those things. So, you know, like, like most companies we will probably look at Canada and we'll look at the UK and we'll look at Australia and and just kind of go country by country in English first and then branch out from there. If, if, if it goes that far, we'll see.
0: Yeah, that's great. There's a lot of
1: road to hoe in the US. And we're, yeah, we're I happy mean, right now. Obvious. I mean, you follow me or follow Swan on Twitter. Anybody asks about you know Europe or Australia or Canada, we just say talk to Ruben, talk to Francis, talk to Alex. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> it's it's it's
0: out there somewhere
1: in the future, but it's not immediate.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, and so, in terms of this one Bitcoin setup, tell us a little bit about who else is involved. I know Jan Pritzker is involved. You've got Brady. Tell us a little better who who else is who else is there.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, so Jan and I got to know each other initially because, you know, I loved his book and we met at Bitcoin 2019 and SF around that, just made plans to meet up. And I wanted to tell him about uh, Give Bitcoin. brought him on as an advisor. And, uh, you know, the guy just can't stop himself from getting involved in, you know, product and engineering, like it's in his blood. And he was trying to, you know, stay semi-retired after selling his last company, but he just he couldn't stop. And Um, You know, he started providing great feedback, not just like on a section of a chapter, but, you know, kind of scanning the whole thing and rewriting things. (laughs) And before long, he asked if he could be in the team Slack. And uh, so then he was there just kind of like chiming in on product and tech decisions. And, you know, basically with the launch of SWAN. You know, and, and just coming up with the, the idea for that and exactly how I wanted to do it. I think that's what got him over the hump. And so from like mid-December, he was on board full time and, and really wanted to build this new product with us. Um, so that was awesome. And that was about the same time I think Brady came on at the beginning of December. Um, mm-hmm. And that was just, uh, I started to have, I developed a hypothesis after working with a lot of different people that uh, you basically just need to hire Bitcoiners for this stuff. Otherwise you waste too much time. Um, And also you're just kind of, you know, you need people that are kind of down for the cause. So it's not only saving you a lot of time, it's also you're getting their brain working on non-work hours so that they come back with good ideas. Because we know that anyone who's a Bitcoiner is going to be reading and talking and listening to podcasts. And, you know, we're all just like degenerate Bitcoiners that can't do anything else. Um, So if you hire (laughs) Bitcoiners, if you hire Bitcoiners, you get much more bang for your buck you know, and we're all kind of working toward a bright orange future. And this goes for myself too. Obviously a lot of other things I I could be doing for more Fiat, but I would never trade it. (laughs) I love doing this. Um, so that's kind of, there's the three of us. Uh, we've got a great long-term hodler out of Germany. Who's an incredible, uh, designer and coder. Um, so he's lives in a small town outside of Frankfurt. Um, so you can see him on the website, but he, he's been a great add to the team. He's been on since January. Um, and then we have, uh, Kind of, I mentioned having kind of a new coiner who provides the outsider's perspective. But um, I have a longtime friend named uh, Matt Ruby, who I've been friends with since 2002 or 2003. Um, Guy officiated my wedding in Istanbul. I've known the guy for a long time. He's got a really interesting and helpful background because he was actually the author and the the writer of the blog for 37 Signals. So this is the guy's. uh, This is. Basecamp. There's kind of a famous tech blog that started in the early aughts called Signal Versus Noise um, that he wrote for eight years. Uh, and those guys never spent a dime on marketing. All they did was just educate people. And they're the ones that created Basecamp. And you know, Dave Hennemeyer Hansen created Ruby on Rails. Um, so kind of really well-known people in tech. Uh, I think the only outside investor they ever took was just Jeff Bezos with a personal check, and only because Jeff begged them. Um, you know, and they still own the whole company and they have super happy employees and they work like 32 hour work weeks and they're totally remote. So it's, uh, having Matt on the team, he's got a special skill that he brings to the table where he can translate something for a normie audience and, and bring them up to speed. So that's been awesome to unleash him on Bitcoin. Um, and he's, you know, definitely the primary author of the book with, with me and everybody else chipping in, um and uh and yeah i just think it's it's interesting to have him you know because he's, he's actually a full time stand-up comic now for the last eight or nine years um so he's just doing this on the side He does like half time with us and then does comedy at nights um when there's you know when when you can actually go to a nightclub and it's not COVID season in new york he, he's in the clubs performing and hosting and stuff like that um But yeah, I just find it really interesting to have him uh, be in the mix and just kind of providing that uh, non-Bitcoiners perspective. It keeps us honest. Um, And then there's a bunch of other people. Like We we just added uh, one of my favorite humans in in Bitcoin and and just in the world is uh, Brecky Von Bitcoin, Jason Don. So he's just come on as uh, creative director, Uh, official start date. Think is actually tomorrow, <laughs> but he's been working with us for. a and few But he's weeks basically already, already
0: started. <laughs> yeah, I and mean, he's
1: been he's been kicking around and, and chipping in for months now, so that's why it kind of became obvious that we needed to bring him on. Um, so we have an author and we have an artist on staff, and then uh, our newest hire is we have an actor on staff. So uh you'll get the you're the first person that's going to get the uh the background on reggie brown who's the guy that we had uh play obama in our bitcoin for america video yesterday Um, so he's an old friend of mine from chicago we were friends since 2006 2007 in, in chicago and uh in 2008 this uh this skinny guy from chicago started to get really popular and ran for president and and reggie happened to look a lot like him and was an actor and he just decided to, you know, get in makeup and, and practice the impersonation and uh, got himself an agent in Hollywood and moved out here. And he's been doing like really good business as basically the best known Obama impersonator for the last 12 years. Um, so he's done, you know, all kinds of news shows and comedy shows and tons and tons of Bill Maher appearances and Fox News and all these different things as uh, as Obama. Um, so now he's doing that for us a little bit, but we're also going to have him play other things too. So he's, he's kind of the staff actor and presenter. And the fun thing that we're thinking of doing is we're going to, he's not a Bitcoiner, um, but we're going to use this basically to onboard him as a Bitcoiner and document his process as he learns about Bitcoin and learns how to engage with Bitcoiners and play Bitcoiners. And, you know, it's going to be
0: fun. I,
1: I really like this idea of, uh, of having a staff actor.
0: Right, yeah. And speaking to the journey of learning about Bitcoin, and I think it it is psychologically important to have the dollar cost average approach as well. I think it's a lot of people have come in and tried to take the lump sum, oh, is it a good time? A- and then they just mistime it because again, no, nope, it's basically, basically nobody can time it well, uh, or very few people can. And Psychologically, to me, I think that's where the dollar cost average, auto buy, whatever you want to call it, I like that approach very much. So, uh, so what was it about that approach that appealed to you?
1: I kind of approached it from a standpoint of, okay, what is actually going to solve the problem here? And the problem is, how do you, how do you actually accumulate a meaningful amount of Bitcoin? You know, because it's really difficult for humans that have been tuned to spend cash as you receive it to accumulate enough money to purchase an asset without using credit. Uh, And so, you know, really the only things that have been effective at getting people big chunks of value into an asset class have been retirement, which comes automatically out of your paycheck and mortgages. Which is something that you have to pay every month. It's the first thing that goes out, and so I think that approach of of saying, okay, you set it and forget it. You're just paying for this thing every month. Uh, you know, you're just going to buy a bit of Bitcoin every month and think about it as like you know a Bitcoin savings account or whatever it is. You're just going to accumulate this Bitcoin, um, and it just be it, it's a it's a forced habit. You, you only have to make that decision once, as opposed to. You know there are certain people and they're hardcore bitcoiners and they're listening to a lot of podcasts and they're the people that will religiously sit down and go on the exchange and you know set a limit order and wait for the you know the tick to go down and pick up their limit order or whatever it is but there's so much mental friction and so much time associated with that ritual we can only expect some single digit percentage of people to actually dca dollar cost average without it being automatic so when i looked at it i thought The three things, it was super clear to me. I'm surprised that other people don't all do it the same way, but it was very clear to me that you had to automate three things to actually solve the problem. You have to automatically pull the funds from the bank account. You have to automatically purchase the Bitcoin, and then you have to automatically withdraw it to the user's designated storage, like the address that they want it to go to, or XPub. We're going to do XPubs too. Um, so with all three of those, I think you have, you know, the, the best way to for, you know, 90 plus percent of people to be able to accumulate a meaningful position in Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, that makes a big difference because it really is about smoothing the friction out. And I know that for my Focus is very much about teaching people towards self-custody as wherever possible, self-custody. And I think many of my listeners will share that concern. And so that is something that is important to them because they have been through these, these uh, scenarios before where, let's say, Mt. Gox went down and these exchanges all go down. And without having a strong self-custody culture, there's just so much risk there. And so, definitely appreciate uh, that uh, Swan Bitcoin is very much advocating and advancing down that um, line of you should self custody and you should withdraw regularly.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it is very interesting, and you know one of the other things that's pretty cool about it is most people choose round numbers for their withdrawals. So we're working on this, and, and Matt Odell is helping us like think through this. But basically, if you can do uh, basically, all your withdrawals at one time, and they're all in the same uh, denomination. So, like, let's say we're doing like a thousand, a thousand withdrawals, or a thousand cents to user designated addresses of you know 0.05 or 0.1 or 0.01 or whatever it is. It effectively looks like a coin join.
0: all oh, right right. If, if it's a batch
1: spend, right? It's a batch spend, and and they're all going out in the same denomination. So there's a little bit of. Uh, you know privacy there but obviously a lot of people that uh, will receive it will go off and do you know coin joins whirlpools whatever they want um after the fact too
0: right yeah 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 um and, and yeah i just i think it, it, there's a lot there just around the friction right it's, it's mostly the friction aspect right even if you're super committed to bitcoin you might and you're trying to manually buy you might think oh maybe i'll wait a little bit because i think you know it's coming down and i'm going to be able to get more if i wait just a little bit and then you end up trying to optimize or for for something it's like you're missing the forest for the trees and that's uh something that i've um it's a tendency i've noticed in myself when i was you know manually buying things before manually buying bitcoin before and occasionally i would slip it up a little bit and then you'd kind of miss a buy and then you're kind of like ah i missed the opportunity so but there's that strong FOMO aspect of it as well, because people sort of feel like, Oh, there's a big dip. I want to buy some now. And that, that can run you in, that can put you into trouble as well, because you're trying to like take lump sums or or certain chunks of money, as opposed to just saying, no, here's the plan. Just this amount every week or this amount every month, whatever it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And again, you know, I think, uh, Conditional on being a Bitcoiner, like you probably have a little bit better relationship with money than the average person. And so, you know, saving up and having a chunk of fiat on the sideline to put into Bitcoin when you deem the price is low is something that's a a real experience that many of us have had and have been through. It's not a realistic experience for most people. Most people are not going to be able to put $5,000 in an account on the side. And I know this from sitting in the chat. We turned on chat you know, two three days ago, with our early access people, and I've had a lot of conversations about people like very concerned that our paycheck plan, that's supposed to pull on the first and fifteenth, actually is going to pull, you know, on the first and fifteenth or later because it's coming out of their paycheck. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: They're living paycheck, to paycheck the, Yeah, but they wanted, and but our pricing, and this is another really important thing. I I got really uh, got really tired of the inequity of the the two providers that that do dca in the us um gemini and coinbase just gouging people on fees for small buys um so it's just like egregiously high if you do ten dollar fee a ten dollar buy on coinbase is a 9.9 fee plus the spread um so we just decided to basically treat everybody the same with our tiers so it doesn't get egregious like that so for us i think uh you know a 10 dollar buy is 2.49 percent if you prepay your fees annually 2.99 if you're just doing pay as you go and we go all the way down to 0.99 uh, um for buys of 200 bucks a month or more so 50 bucks a week or more you're in our highest tier and you're down under one percent fees um for set it and forget it recurring bitcoin buys and you know the lowest that square gemini and coinbase go i think is like
0: 1.49 right right and in terms of the spread as well, uh, what sort of uh, price do they end up getting from that?
1: We don't take we don't take a spread, so it's just the fees. The fees are the fees, and we get you know basically the best market price that is available through our our providers, just a network of exchanges and OTC funds that are that are plugged into a, a desk, basically. Yep.
0: Yeah. So essentially, this is the this would be the cheapest DCA option available for Americans. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good thing as well.
1: Specifically, I mean, so you could you could wire money into an exchange or some kind of service and convert it to Tether and set it up to buy every minute or whatever. That for me, again, the problem for me isn't solved unless you have the automatic withdrawal from the bank account, the automatic purchase of the Bitcoin, and the automatic withdrawal to your own storage. So unless you're solving all three of those, I don't consider that product a competitor to us. You're something else. Gotcha. gotcha. You know, and that's fine. Yeah. There are people that make those product choices and they want to do it that way. Like, you know, that supposedly there are a few people on Kraken that do actually uh, DCA, but you have to wire the money to Kraken and it sits there in your fiat account and then it gets doled out into
0: Bitcoin over time. Right. I see. you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's more of a manual approach because that user has to actually kind of manually operate it. Themselves well, they have, they have to push
1: more. the money from their bank account to the exchange versus having it just automatically pulled from the bank account.
0: Yeah, I yeah. see you. So the yeah. buying
1: the purchasing of the Bitcoin is automated and I hear it's great and that's totally awesome. But I really do think you need the pull from the bank account too to automate this thing, right? Yeah. Also ACH um, is free, which is nice. Uh, right. ACH yeah. withdrawals are free. Yeah.
0: yeah, that that that's always a bit tricky as well, around like how you set up the banking and all that. Um but um yeah, I guess it's it's it doesn't take and that's the other thing as well. It doesn't take that many people doing DCA before you end up with this huge, um, hugely bullish pressure on upwards on the price because it's 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 just not that many this is not that many bitcoins to go around in terms of the new mining supply.
1: hmm Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we've obviously been able to see the impact that Square going so hard with uh, with Cash App and and making it easy to smash to stack sats, as the boys over at TFTC say, um, you know, that that's had a meaningful impact on on sucking up the new supply that comes in every day. And uh, I absolutely think there will be lots more. We've got River uh, up in San Francisco with Alex and the boys. And I'm friends with Andrew, their, their marketing guy down here in LA. And like, they have a slightly different approach that's more like, you know, exchange focused, more of a brokerage and they do sales and a lot of high net worth sort of like family office focus. And we're kind of like trying to bring millions in. Um, but I think they're like, it's silly to think that when millions of people sell gold around the world and millions of people sell stocks around the world and Bitcoin's supposed to be this huge asset class, do we really think there aren't going to be like at least thousands of businesses selling Bitcoin? Of course there will be. You know, I've seen, uh, I've seen, uh, I, I became aware of uh, reserve over, I think they're Swiss and they're going to be serving the EU, but, uh, because Connor, Connor pu- published a piece in their new, uh, blog. Um, So that's clearly like a a well-experienced and capitalized team that's going to be doing something else over there. And, you know, I think there's going to be new ones popping up all the time and, you know, rising tide lifts all boats and we all, we all kind of make it happen together. And that's totally fine. There's plenty to go around. You know, I, I think this thing is heading for like a hundred trillion market cap, which means at least a few trillion has to flow into it. And a percent or two of a few trillion is pretty meaningful. So there's plenty of money to go
0: around if you do this right. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's um, talk now about Bitcoin adventures. So it's this new thing. I'm involved as well. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? What What is it?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this this came from, uh, you know, like summer of 18 was when I first wanted to start it. And I was looking at all the money that uh, Consensus could throw around or, you know, some of these ecosystem funds like that giant pile that uh, Block One gave to Galaxy, like 300 million to invest in EO startups or whatever it was. And I was like, why isn't there this for Bitcoin? And it's like, well, there is. It's just, you know, it's all venture investors globally look at Bitcoin startups. But I felt like it could be helped by having at least like another strong voice that was, you know, putting in the work and the time to be authoritative and exhibit like, Hey, I've got some taste. Like we can all, we can all have our opinions about movies, but it's also nice if a professional reviewer watches everything and you get to know their taste and then you can at least judge whether you like something by calibrating against their taste. So that's what I thought we could do by being a focal point where we do actually do the work. We do look at the, you know, the, the fundraising decks and meet the teams and know the teams. And, and, uh, you know, so I, I started thinking about this initially with, uh, with Steve Lee and Dan Held in like summer of eighteen, um, never quite got around to it because I was pulled into other things. And uh, you know, basically, with getting to know you and and Jan Pritzker over the last year, um, you know, we obviously felt the three of us that we could provide a good a good voice and and really be we have good access to deals, and I think that people around the world will. I mean, they're already proving that they that they do trust our taste, and they're signing up for our Angelist Syndicate. So there's a, a Bitcoin Ventures Angelist Syndicate. Is how we're starting it, um, and we've got our first uh, got our first deal, got our first allocation in a uh, a very well known Bitcoin startup. I can't say the name, but you can uh, go and find us on Angelist. Uh We can post the. Um, we can post the Angelist syndicate uh, URL in the show notes and you can go in there. And, and if you're on Angelist already, subscribe to our syndicate, or it's pretty easy if you're an accredited level investor to sign up for Angelist and start contributing to these, uh, these startups. Um, the way Angelist works basically is they uh, we've, we've signed up for, you know, in this case, just to get off the ground, a hundred thousand dollar allocation in a deal that's currently going down for a Bitcoin startup. Um, and and there are a bunch of other investors in the round, professional investors that are doing their due diligence, et cetera. And obviously we are too. Um, and we fill that up with checks of anywhere between like, you know, one one and 25,000. So you can invest in a Bitcoin startup for as little as as 1K U.S. Um, from around the world, by the way. So it's, uh, it's not just a U.S. thing. This could be a global investor base.
0: Yeah. So it's an opportunity for people to take part and be a part of the group who are investing into Bitcoin proper companies. And so uh, can you just tell us a little bit about how investments will be looked at on which which companies will get invested in?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's really just Bitcoin only. So that's, that's one of the key things. So, you know, I think it, it, if your exchange is also selling Icon or toilet paper coin or whatever else, like... Uh, no, not interested. Um, so there's a Bitcoin infrastructure companies like we'll be looking, we already are talking to a few Bitcoin mining services and software type companies, definitely consumer services, you know, things like, like us and, you know, a strike, for instance, or an unchained or, you know, things like that will definitely be on the short list. the folds, the lollies, just things that are getting Bitcoin infrastructure built and 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 companies that are getting Bitcoin in more people's hands and educating about Bitcoin and pushing it forward. And, you know, we've seen historically that, you know, there are obviously companies that have been in the space that have delivered outsized returns with a different risk reward profile from Bitcoin itself. So I think we're making a strong case that it absolutely does make sense, not just as sort of like a, a be a good Bitcoin citizen, you know, charitable investment. It's like, no, there's actually companies now being built in and around Bitcoin that have very good prospects for outsized returns going forward.
0: Yeah. And so it's one way that people can, if they weren't normally going to go and participate in investing into Bitcoin companies, this is one way where they can participate as part of the syndicate Mm -hmm. uh, and contribute money in that way and In doing so, fund Bitcoin companies that they like, that they want to see succeed.
1: That's right. That's absolutely right.
0: Yeah. Um, so in terms of how it works then, like if somebody's listening now and they want to be a part of it or they want to, you know, they want to invest, right? They've got some money and they would like to invest in the chosen uh, company as part of the syndicate. What's the, what's the way they contribute? How do they get involved?
1: Yeah, just go to bitcoinerventures.com and you can just go and sign up and send us an email. Our email is uh, hello at bitcoinerventures.com. Um, so you can just shoot us a note. I'll come right to my inbox and, and we'll take a look. Um, and we can point you toward the syndicate or if you're a, a founder of a Bitcoin company, we'll, we'll take a look at what you're doing. Um, just so everybody knows, like the sweet spot is, you know, basically like seeds and A's. Maybe we'll do some later stage companies as some of the, the current crop of Bitcoin companies advance a little further. Um, but, you know, you've got to have... You know be well on your way to having product and market ideally a little bit of revenue you definitely need to have other investors we will never be the first check or the only check um so if you just have an idea or you're just kind of like getting off the ground absolutely want to know what you're doing we'll talk about it we'll promote it but uh there won't be a, a a check forthcoming until you get a little bit further along
0: um yeah so it's a it's it's an opportunity there for um you know bitcoin proper companies as well like if you're a founder you can um put in an email and say hey maybe we could be part of um we, we could work together or we you could invest um so that's there as well um, uh, i should i should at
1: least mention our you go on. our incentive structure as well so you know obviously venture investors typically take uh, a percentage of assets under management and a carry which is basically a percentage of the profits uh we're taking zero percent on assets under management so not not taking any money there and uh instead of 20 we're taking 10 and that's obviously like split between the partners and also uh, equally with uh, our in- investor associate, uh, Louis Liu, who's helping with a lot of the blocking and tackling and has good deal sourcing and good deal evaluation skills. Um, so basically the four of us just splitting that. And and we're also all uh, investing uh, a little bit in each of these companies as well. So we have skin in the game by putting up some money ourselves in each of the deals that we select. And that forces us to actually pay attention and <laughs> all three of us and decide what we're going to do. Um, and then we have an incentive to, uh, you know, help make it go great and, you know, be really choosy because we actually do have a little bit of upside along with our investors, um, you know, for doing the work and for selecting the deals. And, you know, I, I would absolutely love to see some financial returns from this endeavor, but um, you know, but it is well under market and uh, it's not for us, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I think you feel the same way, but it's it's not actually about the money. It's about the money, <laughs> Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really about what we what can we do? What companies out there will really benefit and benefit back to Bitcoin, right? And help build the infrastructure around Bitcoin and help kind of advance it on this journey of becoming you know the global money. Uh, and I think it's also. An interesting point because over the years, many of us in the Bitcoin space have been frustrated that there would be some shitcoin fund manager who would be charging the typical two and twenty or even more, and telling people, "Hey, you've got to, you can't just invest in Bitcoin. You've got to invest in all these other, you know." And think of it like it's quote unquote crypto, right? Which obviously I disagree with. Uh, what if we had actually something that was more Bitcoin focused, and people could invest their money and know that it was going towards proper Bitcoin only and being done in a way with the, where the focus is, we're going to try and push Bitcoin along this pathway of, you know, becoming global money.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: So uh, look, I guess uh, let's just finish it up with a bit of a broader comment around the macro comments and the macro scene that we're in, right? We are just seeing just unprecedented actions by governments all around the world. I mean, we've got this crazy, crazy amount of money printing and stimulus. We've got all this crazy stuff happening in terms of government intervention into the market around, and just into our lives in terms of, you know, many of us are pra- practically sitting on house arrest at this point, many of us around the world. So it's it's a crazy scenario. What is the, where does Bitcoin play into that?
1: well i i put in my time thinking about this on uh, on sunday morning and and posted a tweet so i'll just i'll just read that uh i could not imagine a more positive setup for bitcoin uh qe quantitative easing unlimited will succeed in kicking the can down the road one more time but everyone now knows fiat comes from thin air and can be used for anything so from here it's a free-for-all unlimited dollars and fixed Bitcoin equals moon. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and that's that's really what I that's really what I think. You know, I I think in the the first few weeks of this thing really getting out of hand, and I got my cues from, you know, Bitcoin, Twitter, and and then really macro voices got all over this the last week of January. So, you know, this is it's hard because Bitcoiners are right about so much that we can get very full of ourselves being right about things but the fact is this sort of talebian fat tails exponential thinking like this way of looking at the world like that mental model you know complex systems and you know beating a butterfly wings and all these different things um are a much more accurate way of thinking about the world and it basically let you know macro investors are very similar which is why there's this big love affair between macro investors and bitcoiners um, cause there is no more macro investment out there than Bitcoin, whether they know it or not, are the ones that really were out in front of this and, and saw this, you know, really, really early. Like Taleb was publishing on this and, you know, the third week of January about how this was going to be a global pandemic and that the WHO had it wrong and all these things. And, you know, we've seen that time and time again, whether it's, you know, two bit idiot being all over this or Bology or, you know, any, your favorite. Hardcore bitcoiners for the most part have been on on top of this as well. and so I did definitely see that here's what I was nervous about. I was nervous about uh, the whole thing kind of falling apart before Bitcoin was ready because I, I just you know there's just not enough capacity, the market caps not high enough and i could see you know draconian measures slapping down while there aren't enough bitcoiners and not enough infrastructure and you know especially when you look at the night of march 12th and what happened with the price and bitmex and cascading liquidations and all of the margin calls all over the place and all that kind of stuff like you look at that and it's like eh, I'm I'm kind of scared to take all this on now the best thing that could possibly happen is like being able to see the wizard behind the curtain with Kashkari coming on and saying, we have unlimited money. We can just print it as much (laughs) as you want. Unlimited. Right. And then, uh, and then, you know, Bitcoin coming into the having, like you, I don't even care what happens to price this year. Like it's just, it's so obvious now the, the, the value prop and, and crystallizing that this thing isn't a hedge against like a financial crisis. It's a hedge against the existing system. And this is, this existing system has just shown its massive cracks yet again. And, you know, I think, uh, oh and one of the macro voices guests totaled up if the dollar is actually going to backstop all of the Euro debt and all of the corporate debt and basically everything that it has to backstop, it's not going to be six trillion, it's going to be 45 to 47 trillion. Like what, what's the release valve for that? I wish we had something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, now, it's an interesting point as well, because I've often, th- well, I'm kind of coming around to that view that, look, the typical person is not going to really care about Bitcoin until they feel it in their hip pocket, right? They, they feel the inflation. And it, it may be that in the sh- short term, we don't necessarily see a lot of CPI, consumer price inflation, And it may just be, it may take some time for that to really filter out. And then that is what pushes them in. But at the same time though, Bitcoin is still extremely small and we're about to come into a halving. So the actual downwards sell pressure exerted by the miners is just going to massively decrease, right? It's going to halve obviously. And then with all the people stacking just regularly, I see it like we are going to sort of see a bull run in Bitcoin probably next year, right? And it just... It it just sort of all hits this crazy perfect storm for Bitcoin.
1: Listen, it seems to be setting up that way, so we'll see. I mean, we're we're you know my my company and my my comrades in uh, in Swan with our wings out flapping as hard as we can, just trying to get ready for this thing and and be there to take the orders. That is kind of the goal. But yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's I've never been more more bullish for Bitcoin than I am now, and I I think you know whatever your whatever your price forecast was for a given year out in the future so let's say like 2024 2028 2032 whatever and you had a number in mind like conditional upon the system actually collapsing again which it is in the process of doing and you have another crisis conditional upon that happening that now that condition has been satisfied and it was priced in you know, as a, as a maybe before, and now it's a definite. So you actually have to either change the year of your price forecast or like two to five X, your forecast for the year that you had in your mind, like you have to, because now that actually happened. And now we actually have our government going on and saying, we can print as much money as we want. And (laughs) and they are. Um, So yeah, just Bitcoin, Bitcoin as a thing happening by a certain date became a lot more certain.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to uh, frame it. So look, Corey, where, where can the listeners uh, follow you and Swan and Bitcoin Bitcoin Adventures?
1: Yeah, so swanbitcoin.com uh, in the US, come and set it up. And if you have any friends that are looking at Bitcoin that are in the U S um, please send them our way. We'll take care of them and teach them about Bitcoin and get them stacking. Um, and then bitcoinerventures.com, please come and sign up for the Angelist syndicate. And there's no obligation, by the way, you can get notified, notified of all the deals and look at all the materials. um, just by signing up, uh, you have no obligation to actually participate in a given deal. A lot of people may not have a lot of experience with Angelist. And then me, uh, you know, I, me, Brecky, uh, Brady, and Jan all have the handle keys to Swan Bitcoin. So if somebody says something stupid, it's me. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, and then um, I'm Corey Clipston on Twitter, and uh, easy to find there. And you know, you can also email me anytime at uh, Corey C O R Y at SwanBitcoin.com.
0: Fantastic. I've enjoyed chatting with you, Corey. Thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Stefan.
0: You can subscribe to the show, get the show notes, and see the transcript for this episode at stefanlevera.com 163. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.